Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I am ecstatic today to have Mandy Fralick. Uh, here with us is we're going to have a little bit of conversation about SEL, uh, talk about teacher self-care and, and making sure that we're able to be at our best um, so that we can then be there for learners and trying to support them emotionally through uh, what has certainly been an interesting time these last six months. So, um, Mandy, I, uh, the impetus for all this really was that Mandy and I were on a webinar not too long ago and as Mandy started to advocate for this SEL work, she just lit up when we were talking about this. Uh, and I know it's a topic she is so passionate about, and so I'm grateful that you're going to be a part of our podcast today and share some of the things that you have uh, to advocate for with this SEL piece. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I was excited when you reached out because Andrew and I have known each other for a while, and, and we used to do Snapchat sing-off together. I don't think we've done that in forever, <laughs> but that used to be a thing. You bring that uh, back. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm super happy to be here. Oh, awesome. Awesome. And um, so for our audience, maybe that doesn't know you as well, Mandy, can you kind of give a little bit of your history and education? Yeah, absolutely. So I started out as um, an elementary teacher and I loved working with elementary kids, you know, but I did eventually get burnt out. And so at the time, I didn't really understand what was going on as far as what being burnt out meant. And I just thought that I was very unhappy in teaching. And so I, I moved to being a tech integrator. And I loved that position. That was one of my favorite positions ever because I loved, I could kind of be that person that like popped in the classroom and got the kids all riled up and then was able to leave. And it was, it's almost like being a grandma. That's what I always like. <laughs> I'm like, oh, cute. I get my grandkids and now I get to sugar them all up and give them back. You know, it's that <laughs> same kind of idea. And then um, I was a director of innovation and technology. And then I retired from that recently. And now I consult full time. Awesome. And in the midst of that, you've, had, you've really had a chance to advocate for this SEL work too as well, right? And you've written a couple books. You can kind of talk to maybe where that meets your work. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I get the question a lot of, oh, you were a director of technology and now you talk about mental health. Like, how does that work? <laughs> and, um, and I kind of joked on that panel too, like I was almost professionally bred for pandemics. Like, you know, it was, I have the tech piece of it and then the mental health piece of it. But if you think about it, a lot of my work originally was done in innovation and, and supporting teachers and being innovative thinkers, but you don't have as much capacity to think innovatively when you're burnt out or are suffering with a mental health issue. And so they feel like they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're actually very much related. And um, in dealing with my own mental health issues, I uh, started talking about educators and mental health issues, which was a big no-no about four years ago. And so really kind of went out on a limb with that and published my first book, Fire, uh, The Fire Within. I almost forgot the title there for a second. Uh, the Fire Within uh, is about uh, teacher mental health and a little bit about self-care, but really acknowledging what we go through as people, as humans, and how that impacts us in the classroom is kind of what uh, the fire within is resolves around. Um, Divergent EDU is about innovation and how to you know help teachers be more innovative. And then recently I released Reignite the Flames, which is more of a book kind of that kind of follows up the fire within, but talks about teacher engagement and disengagement, mental health issues, burnout, and how you can come back from that. So that's what uh, Reignite the Flames is about. 
Awesome. And thanks. That gives us some resources to appoint people to if they want to continue with this conversation outside of this podcast. Uh, and with that, you know, as you're talking, it made me wonder why do you think it was the case, you know, as recently as four years ago, that this was a taboo topic for us to talk about with regards to teachers and education. That's it, it seems natural, I think, at this moment for us to like really be concerned about that and, and want to make sure that we're supporting our educators in that way. So, yeah, why why at that time was that something that there just wasn't a lot out there about? Yeah, to be honest, I'm not really sure. I mean, I think I've seen a lot more, a lot more discussions recently about teacher mental health in regards to the pandemic. And, and I've been saying like the pandemic did not bring on teacher mental health issues like that. It may have uh, highlighted it for people so that they, it was, it was really clear and it might've been more widespread, but it, it, it was not the beginning of it. And so I think, um, my impression that I got when I first started talking about it, and a lot of people said, you shouldn't be talking about that. You're going to get fired. You're going to get other people fired. Nobody wants to hear those sad stories. Like I heard all of the things. And I think it came from a place of, um, of fear because we are supposed to be the people that kids look up to. So if we're quote unquote off or sick, what's that going to do to our kids, which we know is ridiculous. And but there's, I still think there's that stigma out there of while well, the people who are instrumental in raising our students outside of their families can't be off, you know, like that. And, and I think that's really where it came from. And I think that understanding that, you know, what, what are the statistics now? One in five people suffer with, suffer with some sort of mental health issue. And, and I honestly think that that's on the low side because I think there's probably three more out of those five people who are just not recognizing they have one. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of people and the chances of, of, you know, teachers not having something like that are pretty slim. And, and we, you know, everybody needs to feel supported in this. So that's really why I started talking about it. And, you know, that actually makes me think of uh, something that I heard recently from, uh, I listened to various podcasts, probably hard to imagine somebody who has podcasts would <laughs> be invested <laughs> in those, but uh, from the psychologist who said that uh, people are more likely to give prescription medicines to their pets than they are to take them routinely themselves. <laughs> and, and I think, I thought it just really interesting and, and I'm not to call our students our pets, but I think that it just speaks to the selfless nature of people to care for others and to care for others really well and not to their own neglect, right? Yeah. And so I think that that's really the heart of an educator in many ways, right? We don't do this for the pay. We don't do this for, <laughs> for oh, the for sure. fame or glory of it. It is very much because we have big hearts and we really want to pour those out for other people. And we'll do that sometimes to our own detriment. Yeah, that we've not yeah. established maybe those boundaries that are necessary. Uh, and so in terms of like the present moment, as I think that maybe our, our reserves are depleted, I know that's really been something that even Sarah Thomas recently shared something on Facebook that I read through two nights mm -hmm. ago that said, hey, if you're really feeling burnt out, out right now and you've been going 100 miles an hour since March that makes sense and so I raised my hand to that mm -hmm. um, yep. uh, most educators are probably at that place and so yeah what would you kind of say to them as they look to kind of get themselves uh, ready mentally for what is going to be a, a tumultuous uh, semester no matter what I think mm -hmm. uh, given the fact that we're already five six months into really being run down mm -hmm. yeah and and so this this year is you know, besides the fact that it's 2020 and oh my gosh, like 
Seriously. And so I, I'm fairly convinced aliens are coming in like November. <laughs> like I, I keep saying it, there's a, like 2020 is not over. We are only halfway through. Right. Uh, and the unfortunate thing is that while many educators work during the summer, they still do take time to rejuvenate. Like it's their time to catch a, a little bit of a break in between the craziness of the end of the school year and the craziness of the beginning of the school year. And that break was never there for most people because emotionally they were looking forward already. And it's actually one of the reasons why I've, the last few years since I've, I've done a lot of research on it, I have fully believed in mindfulness, but especially right now, because educators tend to be future focused, like, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to fix this? How, like, we're, we're, we're like, taking care of humans so that their futures are better, you know? And that, so it's like what we do. And if you're constantly living in the future and you're in a spot where you can't see the future, like it's, there's just nothing there to even know what's coming. It's going to cause such anxiety that you can't, it's going to be difficult to get over. And I think that's where a lot of people are. And so, you know, going into the school year, if only because of that, I've started to say, learn very simple mindfulness techniques, like very simple, just, and, and a lot of people, you know, you know that people, when you say mindfulness, people are like, oh, lotus flower and yoga and meditation. I'm like, it's all that. Yes. But the basis of mindfulness is being in the moment, non-judgmentally. Think of how often you do that. And, and if you are constantly future focused, it's imperative to bring yourself to the present in order to, in order to do that. That was a whole tangent. So um, it's going to be difficult going into the school year because of they, they never got that break. And I don't, I don't know. I was thinking about this yesterday. I don't know if I have amazing advice, to be, to be honest. Like, if anybody says to anybody right now, I know this is the case. They are lying because nobody knows what's going on. You know, nobody knows. There are so many different scenarios of what's going on in school right now. There's so many scenarios of how teachers feel. There's so many scenarios of what students are going to. It differs depending upon if you're in Philadelphia versus Los Angeles versus Wisconsin. I mean, nobody really knows what to do. The only thing I can say is that going into this year, make sure that you, um, A, learn some mindfulness techniques. B, practice self-compassion. Wherever you are right now is exactly where you're supposed to be. And you can both like yourself and continue to grow. Like you can do both of those at once. And the third is to create boundaries. You know, you, and this is something we talked about in the panel just a little bit. Um, just because you have access, people have access to you 24-7, doesn't mean you should be accessible 24-7. Um, if you work from seven to four, you work from seven to four. There's nothing that's going to happen after four o'clock that's so catastrophic that it needs to be addressed most likely at that time. So, you know, really honing in on some of those boundaries and sticking to them. Everything else right now, you know, just to do your best. That I'm so grateful to have this conversation because I just think that it's some of these things, like you're saying, just just take you back to the basics. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I think that you really need to get to that place. And I appreciate your your, your honesty there. And that uh, if you're looking for an answer, that well, the answer is this is a difficult time. <laughs> right. And yeah. 
uh, th there isn't really an answer uh, in the present moment. And so you do the things that sustain you in the, in the interim. And that, uh, you know, I'd add to that too, like relationships. I found myself making sure that I schedule time to see, you know, socially distant, <laughs> but people mm -hmm. in person uh, and have tried to do the same thing for my own kiddos exercise right is always really good too and getting a little bit of fresh air and i i in what work i've been able to do with administrators or districts i've really tried to promote this idea that systemically it would be awesome if we could continue to have lunchroom conversations even if they're virtual you know for everyone mm -hmm. at home and just trying to find opportunities to still have those peer supports that we typically lean on during the usual school year Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, I know even in our informal conversations, it's great having a PLN. It's great having people yep. that you can derive some positivity from as well, because there's a lot of, I wouldn't even call it negative conversations, but there's a lot of heavy conversations in, mm -hmm. the, in the media right now. And, and ones that, you know, quite frankly need to be had. Uh, yep. But at the same time, too, if you live in a world that is nothing but heavy, <laughs> I think that yeah. you can really start to buckle under the weight of that. And so making sure that you have somebody to help you shoulder those moments with and, and to, to have a laugh with, I think is, uh, is imperative. And so it's really great, you know, to start thinking about some of those things that are kind of back to the basics. Um, yeah. and, and once hopefully we've taken care of ourselves as educators, we can start to then shift the focus to really thinking about how we can do that for our students because it's difficult for them too. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, as we kind of transition to that, I guess it's interesting to think about the role that parents now play, not only in education, but also in that SEL emotional support piece in collaboration with the teacher. And so what are kind of some of your thoughts around that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, you know, we've always, uh, it's always been a goal in education to have partnerships with parents, right? Like that, we know that that is the best for kids when we can have those partnership with, partnerships with parents. But that whole role has really shifted now, at least during the pandemic and, you know, for the time being, that we don't have access to our students the way we have had in the past. I mean, we are, educators are masters at seeing a student walk down the hall and knowing by their body language there is something wrong, you know, to which we would probably find that student, ask them what's wrong. They must they might have a story that we have to then address. And like that's what we that is like the basis of our of what we do. And we can't do that right now because we might be able to see our students on Zoom. It is not the same because I can be absolutely exhausted and sad and overwhelmed and get on a Zoom call and fake it for an hour. Like, you know, and, and as an adult, I can do that. And I know kids can do that as well. And so I think that recognizing, you know, a few things, first of all, we tend to expect way more out of our students than we expect out of ourselves and, you know, out of ourselves or out of other adults. And I think that, you know, keeping that in mind as we, as we ask students to, you know, do some of the things that we're asking them to do is important. We, I think we're also asking a lot of parents right now, kind of going back to that parent conversation, we're asking them to be the first line uh, of defense in, in looking at their students and knowing what's going on and being able to read them. And, you know, one of my favorite TED Talks I ever watched, and I, I read it because it, it challenged me emotionally, was a TED Talk by one of the Columbine shooters' mothers. And she talked about how the Dylan that everyone else saw 
was not the Dylan that she knew. And as I look at kind of what, and and not that our, our kids are going to do something like that, but like when I look at parents and what they see in their kids and the difference between what we see at school and how I look at my own kids and sometimes I'm so busy, I look at them and sometimes I don't. And we're now relying on just that one, that first line of defense to be the only line of defense. We don't, now don't have that second line of defense who, you know, if, if teachers at Columbine would have noticed something, that would have been a second, you know, kind of that second step. So I think that, I think that it's super important that we understand our own expectations on students and parents and that we do also understand that they are our people. Like we need them now because we don't have access to our students like we did before. I couldn't agree more in, in trying to just get those parents to do some of the teachery things that we do to be, mm-hmm. as you said, a line of defense there. That's something within our ESU organization. We've had some individuals at our ESU 5 who put together a parent tips that really just focuses in on trying to do some of those teacher things mm-hmm. <laughs> at home in that remote setting. And so uh, it's everything ranging from making sure that you, you know, promote that they find a place they're comfortable, that's quiet to work and some of those more functional aspects, but also like to sort of monitor them for their behavior uh, and to suggest that they stand up if they need to or go for a walk or take a time out if they need, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting to think through that our role in, in part might now be to help educate them and the mm-hmm. parents on how to be teachers in, at home, which is a major responsibility as you brought up and is another thing right. to shoulder in a time that is already emotionally challenging. I, I understand that all these things are really, uh, there isn't an easy answer, um, but it's, I think just in the being cognizant to try to, I don't know, be a little more attuned to that will ultimately lead to the kind of support that our students, I think, are going to need. Uh, and so I guess I would I'd pivot a little bit to that, too, and, and say with regards to students and, and supporting them, uh, what are we going to do? Uh, and in a very functional sense, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I, and I'll bring this up. You talk about how difficult it is to be able to see this in our learners. I actually recently with some teachers, I showed some slides uh, because we have a lot of hybrid situations here in Nebraska currently where students are, you can see them at school uh, and then you have them remotely as well. But when they're at school, they're obviously wearing masks. And I put up slides of students and asked if you could tell if they were smiling or frowning behind their mask. (laughs) And we, I mean, just whiff. Like there was really no (laughs) opportunity. And, you know, I've even had people on the podcast say, oh, I sometimes frown or stick my tongue out when I'm talking to people because nobody notices. And it's Yeah, that's hilarious. But but that really speaks to how challenging it is to get any sort of gauge about how these kiddos are feeling because of the one hour that they're able to perform uh, on Zoom and then wear a mask the rest of the time. Uh, And so how do we then maybe like elicit this type of information? What does that look like to be able to get a better sense of these things? Yeah, Um, I have kind of a funny story. My daughter had gone in right uh, about, I don't know, May-ish and had applied for a job and she had an interview. And they did kind of, which I thought was kind of odd, but they did like a group interview with five different people standing six feet apart, all wearing masks. And, you know, it's an ice cream shop. So, Um, and so they're interviewing and she said, and I was the only one who remembered to smile with my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) 
and she got the job. So, I mean, I hey, apparently it worked, go. but when she said that, I thought to myself, oh, smile with your eyes. I would have never thought to do that. And then I thought, what does that even look like? I, I think I, if I did that, I think I would look insane. Like I, I'm not <laughs> sure it would come off the same way, but, um, yeah, it is really hard to gauge how people are feeling. And, and for me, as far as the pandemic goes, I actually think that's one of the hardest parts is when somebody holds the door for you going into the grocery store and you're smiling, but they would never know, you mm -hmm. know, or you say, excuse me, and you don't, you're missing all of those social cues that we usually have. And I think that what's going to have to happen is we are just going to have to have more conversations. Uh, you know, we're going to have to do things that are more blatantly, how are you feeling today? You know, whether that is using GIFs or memes or, you know, emojis or whatever it is. I always have a, a tough time with some of the uh, you know, sometimes teachers use like emotion charts, like how are you feeling today where you have to put your emotion somewhere. And while I, I love the, the underlying idea of it, I, I struggle with the, the emotion for the day being broadcasted to everybody else. Because right. uh, I know as a kid, and it wouldn't have mattered if it was first grade through 12th grade, there is no way I would have actually put what I was feeling up there if it was, if it was kind of broadcasted. And so like, if you take some of those things down, the only real, real thing that you have left is just having those conversations and it's, it's just going to be more imperative. And I love how you said before, you said we need to go back to basics. And a lot of people have said, I think that what this pandemic has done is made teachers be more innovative. And I would say what this pandemic has done is made teachers use technology more. But I think the bigger, uh, the bigger piece of that is it really has made people go back to basics. You know, and, and my number one tip that I give to people going into online learning is I say, listen, you guys are going to be overwhelmed with everything you have to do, but you don't have to be like, think, think, what have you done that makes you a good teacher? Now, how are you going to replicate that online? Like we are going back to basics. You remember formative assessments, summative assessments, you remember creating relationships. Those were all happening before the pandemic and you were doing that before. So how do we just move that online? Kind of using those best practices for online learning, but you know, it's kind of the same thing. Like we should have probably been asking students how they were feeling all along. And so if you were, this isn't going to be as big of a challenge. If you weren't, now you can learn how so that you can continue to do it afterward. Yeah. You know, um, so I think going back to those basics and the idea of how important human relationships are, you know, and whether you're in, in school or out of school, you know, you heard during when everything was shut down and parents were like, oh my gosh, I have kids. We're going to go for a bike ride. We haven't gone for a bike ride in years, you know, yeah. and, and doing those types of things. And, and, you know, I think really the back to the basics is the most important piece out of this pandemic. Yeah. When you, when you kind of were talking too about not wanting to broadcast that out earlier, uh, it really started to make me think of some of the practices like you're talking about <laughs> that I did mm -hmm. in the classroom and uh, uh, that work remotely as well. And just like a couple of those, my, my own kiddos, I would get so frustrated. I would, at the end of the school day, ask them, 
hey, uh, how was your day today? And as you can imagine, I'm sure, and, and my son's like six. So, I mean, it didn't take him long to like one school year to figure this out. Fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> great. You know, and it's just flat. And so I eventually got to this point and I forget where I heard this from, but I asked him, I, I want to love and learn. What did you love today? What did you learn today? Come on, share something. And, and so now, you know, for a while, and the answers were still kind of shallow. They're like lunch, loved lunch, you know, <laughs> but uh, which is good. But, uh, but you know, it, it sort of evolved to where they started then to, I, I, maybe this ties back to our original point, be a little more mindful of the things that they were enjoying as they were enjoying it during the day and to expect to learn, right? And so that's kind of the whole point. And I, I taught seniors last year and with a, a kind of a tough group. And I was like, could we really do this with seniors uh, to do this love and learn? And we did through Flipgrid and they were not shared to where other people could see it, but I could see it. And again, the first two, three weeks, because um, we just did once a week check-in, they were okay. You know, some people are a little more candid than others, but after about three weeks or so, that people really started to open up and you get a real sense of who these individuals are, what their passions are for the things that they love. Uh, when they learn something, you're like, wow, what kind of you into that and it doesn't necessarily have to be academic from my own class right that they're like learning life lessons from interactions that they're having in other content areas or the, the people they interact with it, it's pretty wide open and uh, i saw something on twitter not too long ago as well that, that said hey why don't you take a flip grid and make a board for seven or eight emotions um and then just make those accessible and so maybe the like here at the start of the school year you say pick one of these post something nobody else sees it and then you can give that face-to-face -face response remotely in Flipgrid, which is so great that how convenient that is. And if you're crunched for time, you can put it in double speed and actually go through that pretty quickly. <laughs> but, um, but that being said, it, it, just to leave that up as an ongoing opportunity for them at any time to access those boards when they're angry, when they're sad, when they're happy, when they're, um, you know, just feeling flat. I don't know, whatever you want to mm -hmm. kind of title those or would just be opportunities to make sure that they have an outlet um, for yeah. some of those emotions. And, uh, and I worry about our kiddos. One of my, uh, one of my students last semester kept turning in the assignments between two 30 and four 30 in the morning. And I emailed, him, I was like, why, are, what are you doing? Sending this stuff in at this time. Uh, and he said, yeah, just, it was kind of like it better in the evenings when nobody's really around and you can sort of read between the lines to tell that he was, sleeping during the day and staying up at night because that's when he felt more comfortable and that, that broke my heart um, mm -hmm. thinking about what happened when his social circle or his, what happened when his days shifted to that kind of routine sure. yeah and, um, like the so, yeah. vampire effect oh. <laughs> my daughter went through that too yeah in fact she's still going through that where she uh, she doesn't do her homework quite late, that late but yeah she's staying up till two in the morning and sleep. I mean, it's like a teenager thing, I think for, for some <laughs> it's like people. It's a college thing. If you yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, I remember. And just, and just being, I, I love that love and learn thing. Um, but also just being aware, I think, of like what you just said with that student, being aware of how students are feeling and when they voice their feelings, giving that that vulnerability sort of, you know, positive affirmation or like a, a positive reinforcement, I guess. And, and so I'm, I'm specifically thinking of a tweet that I saw from Andrew Arevalo a while back. Um, it was actually during pandemic learning in the spring. And he said um, something to the effect of, uh, I had a student email me yesterday and tell me she just couldn't get her work done. Like she just couldn't. And I said, that's fine. Hand it in when you can. 
And, and, you know, she said, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, and I think that feeling of overwhelm, it kind of goes back a little bit, you know, we're feeling overwhelmed as adults and these kids are packing that same kind of emotion into their little bodies and with their uh, emotions that haven't been able to go through, you know, 35 or 40 years or 45 years of, of experience. And, and then we're still expecting them to go on like life is normal and life's not normal. And so allowing for that, what seems, I don't know how else to put it, abnormal to be okay sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think uh, just acknowledging their feelings and, and we had spoken a little bit about that, that video, Numb by Liv McNeil. And if you haven't seen it, uh, Andrew and I have both seen it. I highly, highly recommend it. It brings me to tears like almost every time. time. Every time. And I preface with this and I'll throw it back to you. This is not something that was made by Apple. It was not made for any sort of, this was a 14 year old kid Mm -hmm. (laughs) who who took it upon herself to create that piece. Um, Gosh, it is so powerful. Crazy, crazy talented. Like I, mm-hmm. I always, whenever I, when I show it and I present, I always say, first of all, like it is, is such an overwhelming video for me to watch, like emotionally overwhelming video. But after that, I always think to myself, wow, that girl is crazy talented. Like yeah. just crazy talented. Um, and, and she even says uh, in the description of the video, she says something like, this isn't actually how I felt during pandemic learning, but it is how my friends felt. And I was one of the lucky ones. And so I think that that's an interesting perspective too, is that uh, another to, you know, again, go back to how crazy talented she is for her to be able to empathize to that point and understand, you know, kind of how they were feeling. Um, But yes, super emotional, super emotional video, uh, but I still highly recommend it. But understanding that that's how they're feeling and, you know, kind of like I said, with us, we have to give our, ourselves some, some leeway to understand that we're in weird times and, mm-hmm. and, and everything feels heavy and odd. And it's hard to some days, like some things come across the news where I'm like, I'm not even sure I should smile. Like it feels wrong to smile about anything today, you yeah. know, let alone be happy in those days. I feel like in 2020, just keep coming. And as we deal with it as adults, we have to be able to give kids that same, you know, compassion, I think. Oh, that's, I I couldn't say it better myself. Truthfully, it's, I think it's about being able to give people permission and maybe even the language to, to, to express these things. And for us to do that for kiddos, it's very much about, us as adults modeling it in sharing videos like lives where you can say there are people if even if it's not you that feel this way <laughs> and so mm-hmm. if that if and when that is you at times you're not alone and mm-hmm. if so, you know someone else is feeling that way please be empathetic because this is reality for some folks uh and, and so I, i'm i'm right with you there and that that uh, or it's a podcast where you have a conversation and you acknowledge the fact that these things are taking place uh, and you do it in a public kind of open way that allows people to go, oh, okay, it's not just me. I'm not just in isolation uh, with this thing that I'm sort of carrying emotionally at this very difficult time. Uh, and yeah. so 
Uh, gosh, it's crazy how fast half hour goes. I always say yeah. this. <laughs> but, um, I'm super grateful for everything we've had a chance to kind of delve into in this uh, rapid fire discussion on SEL. <laughs> uh, and would just kind of, I'll say one, I would point people to the Castle website. Um, and that's maybe something that I'll let you kind of promote a little bit more to. I know it just is such a foundational place, I think, to get some ideas. You want to speak to Castle a little bit first? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Castle is a website that um, if you want to dive deeper into SEL and uh, it has some trauma-informed stuff in there, but it really is about um, SEL mostly. They do have competencies that you can take a look at and they, uh, I mean, there's so much research on the Castle website and there's implementation plans for SEL and and they talk about the different programs that are out there. And I mean, it really is a fantastic website. I rarely talk about SEL without pointing people back to the Castle website. So it really is kind of what I consider it to be kind of the premier resource for SEL. Um, and so I think, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely check that out. It's C-A-S-E-L. Yeah, same. I always point people there. And there's actually on there, there's a, it's titled distance learning, remote learning, and whatever your verbiage is for that. But distance learning um, look fors. And it asks teachers, are you doing this or not doing this? And I would definitely not access that particular resource and feel terrible because you're only doing two of the 10. It's not that, it's not for that. But when I pointed people to it, uh, it has been just to say, hey, these are places you could do this kind of work. Um, and so maybe think about that, uh, you know, and maybe picking one of those two as areas for growth. But uh, thanks for advocating for that. Uh, and uh, do you, would you have maybe a parting message for everybody listening in as, um, We've covered a lot of ground here today, but just to <laughs> kind of put a bow on our conversation. Yeah, sure. So um, one of the reasons that I talk about, edu when, I, when I talk about educator mental health is I always say I'm not a medical professional. My goal is to really give you the, the words to use for a feeling you have, because always that is the first step in healing. Okay. So for example, if I tell you that overwhelm can feel like some days you just want to cry and some days you want to scream and some days you might be manically happy and some days you want to do nothing but binge Netflix and some days you just feel like I could start every single thing with what I have to do with. I just can't and then fill in the rest of the sentence. It doesn't matter. If I tell you that's overwhelm and you say, oh my gosh, that's what I've been feeling. Now you have the word to address overwhelm. Okay. And, and that's really what my goal always is. And I think we have to do that same thing for our kids, uh, you know, and so talking about, I am feeling this, if you're feeling that it might be overwhelm or it might be frustration or it might be, you know, sadness. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, the medical diagnosis of anxiety or depression or anything like that. It can just be some of those basic human emotions and, and it's okay to feel those right now as long as we keep moving forward. And so I think giving students the words to use, giving other adults the words to use to start to heal is one of the most important things that we can do for each other right now. Uh, I just want to leave a blank pause in our conversation there because I'm, <laughs> I'm just sitting back. I could not agree. Any, it's so important for us as educators and for our kiddos uh, in this moment. And thank you so much for taking some time to advocate for that uh, in such a powerful way. And I yeah, would point absolutely. people to uh, your books and your resources uh, as well. And so where can they find if they want to kind of follow your story and some of the things that you're invested in? 
Yeah. So my website is www.divergentedu.com or you can do mandyfralick.com, but nobody can ever spell my last name. So that hasn't done me much good. <laughs> um, you can find me at Freilich M. It's at uh, F-R-O-E-H-L-I-C-H-M on the Twitters. And um, yeah, Matt, most of my work is is all up there. Books are on Amazon. So easy to find. Cool. Well, Mandy, um, thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm super grateful again for just uh, such a powerful conversation. So thanks. And so thanks for your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Awesome.